So if you would open up to Genesis chapter 1, and Steve, what Steve just said there is uh, uh, a very good way of introducing this message because um, a word from God is good, yes? I mean, a word of God is not going to contradict. It's not going to lie and mislead. Um, it's not going to be apt to do what sometimes our words do, give false impressions or convey misleading information, maybe because uh, we're being deceitful, but, you know, sometimes it's just because we're not communicating very well. <laughs> um, we cannot say any of that about a word from God. Let's, uh, let's do a thought experiment here, okay? Uh, we know that one day we're going to stand before God, okay? So let's try and just zoom into the future a little bit. You're standing before God. God speaks to you. And your response is going to be what? Your response to you is going to be, well, he doesn't really mean that. You know, I need to spiritualize that. I need to find out what the spiritual meaning of that is. Or, or you know, is there a type in there that I need to figure out? You know, so I can get at the true meaning of what he means. Is it all symbolic language and I need to kind of figure out what he's really saying? Do you think anybody's going to do that in front of God? Or are they just going to listen to what he says and say, Amen, yeah. Because God is a communicator. He's the author of language. He's given us language. And and uh, we may not have thought about this before, but... Because God gave us language, it didn't come from toots and whistles and stuff and, you know, from the animal kingdom like the evolutionists concoct. I mean, talk about a, you know, a Disneyland fantasy. Language comes from the great communicator, from God. And why did God give us language? He gave us language so that we would understand him. And he gave us language so that we could speak to each other about him or we could speak back to him. Now, when we speak back to God, which we call prayer, in the future when we meet God, it won't be prayer anymore. It will just be conversation. But when we converse with God in prayer, do we mean what we say or do we use figurative language when we talk to God in prayer? Lord, I'm burdened about this person and uh, can you please help them and come alongside of them and help them through this distress? Uh, but you're really not meaning that. You're meaning that, uh, oh, you need some help paying the bills or something like that. You never, we never talk like that to God. We don't talk like that to each other. The only people that talk like that, folks, are people that either are deceiving you or... Christian scholars who don't, don't read the Bible and don't understand it and who don't believe what it says and try to tell us, oh, this is a kind of genre of language that you don't understand. You've got to study it and get your doctorate in it and stuff like that. And we'll tell you what it really means. I'm sorry, I'm just dumb enough to think that's a load of rubbish. Okay? That is just a load of rubbish. 
and you can pursue a doctorate and you can pursue all kinds of academic study and end up nowhere. So, we're not going to end up there. We're going to start off at the place where we uh, intend to end, which is believing what God says. So what I want to do in this message is to show you something quite simple and yet quite profound. And I, I'm doing this because... I want to draw your attention to something that, you know, maybe we, we have thought about this a little bit or we've been told this, that uh, oh, we, we can't understand the mind of God. We don't know what kind of thoughts he's thinking. Okay, he could be thinking all kinds of different kinds of thoughts. Uh, but when he speaks, yeah, that's, that's maybe different to what he's thinking. And then what he's going to do in the future, that might be different than what he said he's going to do. You say, you might say to me, I've never thought that in my life. Well, I'm glad if that's you, then uh, I'm glad you're, you're, you're like that and I'm glad you're in this church. But you might be surprised to learn that many, perhaps the majority of churches... That's exactly the idea of God that they have. Just because God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, they think, oh, well, that means that God's thoughts then don't really mean what his words mean. There's a disconnect between them. You know, they they interpret it that way. And from that, they, they draw out all kinds of ideas about uh, the secret counsels of God. As if God hasn't told us what he's going to do. I don't like to approach God like that and I don't like to approach the Bible like that. The Bible is not written for the scholar. The Bible's written for you and I. In Mark's Gospel... After Jesus had taught, Mark notes that the common people heard him gladly. It was the educated ones that uh, had problems with what he was saying. And that's why this subject, as odd as it might seem, is very important. The title of the sermon is God's Actions Equal His Words. I could make it an even longer title, but we couldn't fit it on the page. God's actions equal his words, and God's words equal his thoughts. Okay? How do I know? How do I know? Well, the only way that I can know anything about God, because God has told me that. Turning to Genesis chapter 1, you all know this. I'm going to let you... Uh, quote some Bible for me, okay? I have full confidence in you, by the way, okay? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and 
How do you know? Well, but hold on. That means that God means what he says. Do you see? How do you know God means what he says? Because you've just been told it. Okay, let's try another one. Let's go to verse um, 11. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb, I'm sorry, I'm going to say herb, that yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb that yields seed according to its kind and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Now, I'm not asking you a question about that, but I am asking you a question about why the repetition. I mean, it's a mouthful, isn't it? Verse 11 is a mouthful. So why not repeat? Why repeat the, the mouthful in verse 12? Well, we are dunderheads, that's true. But why, why do that? Why not just say, and it's... And he did it. And he did it. Yes. It, that's exactly right. It reaffirms that what God says, let there be, okay, is what actually happens. Do you see that? That's why. And it happens distinctly. Okay, let's try another one here. Two for two. <clears throat> let's see. Oh, let's go to the sixth day, shall we? Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Oh, no, let us. Who's he talking to? He's talking to himself. Now, there are people, there are people, of course there are, who say God's speaking to a council of angels here. Okay? You know, well, what do you think, Gabriel? What do you think, Michael? What do you think, William? You know, all of this stuff. And they're giving in their opinions. Oh, yeah, let us all make the earth and mankind and so on. As if the angels are, are involved in creation. As if God, who created the angels, needs to turn around to the angels and say, well, what do you want to do, boys? No, he, this is inter-Trinitarian. There's a big word for you. This is God speaking to the members of the Trinity. Let us, okay? When he came down to see what was going on at Babel... Thousands of years later, he said, let us go down to see what they're doing. He's not speaking to the angels. It wasn't God accompanied by a bunch of angels that went down to Babel. It was God, the Trinity. Now, if God is speaking to himself, then what is going on is that this is his thoughts. Yes? Do you understand that? This is his thoughts. Let us go down. And the same here. 
Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. This is God's thought. Because he says, let us. Okay? So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then he talks about, I've given you this food, this all, every herb for food and everything. Now, what this teaches us is that God conceives of something, he speaks something, and what happens when he speaks accords with what he's conceived of. God's thoughts come out in his words, and God's words are creative, and they produce exactly what the words say and mean. You say, wow, there's an incredible insight there from uh, the preacher. I didn't know that. But guys, it's re- this is an e- extremely profound thing. And I'm going to tell you why a little later on. But let's, uh, let's go a little bit further on. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. We're in point one here about the example of creation, okay? Now, this is not a creation chapter, but it's in there. I mean, it didn't happen too long after the creation. Everything went pear-shaped. And uh, we know why. Satan was in the garden. He deceived Eve by, first of all, twisting the words and then outright denying the words of God, yes? You shall not die, okay? God said what? In the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall? Yeah, surely die. Thank you. Who said die? Surely die. Surely die. Okay. So in Genesis chapter 3, we see God making that prohibition. You'll see it early on. It's like um, verse 6 here. That they ate. Verse 3 is the prohibition. And the question is, did something happen after they ate? Look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. You say, oh, you see, something different happened. Their eyes were open. They didn't die. Didn't they? Didn't they? The Bible says, as in Adam, all die. Now, just because he didn't fall down dead then, doesn't mean that he didn't die. Because death, the idea of death is a separation. Like body from soul, yes, it's a separation. But behind that is a separation from God, who is life. Death came into the world because of this. Now, if Adam had just fallen down and died physically at this time, 
we wouldn't be here. But mark my words, he died inside. He was separated from God and they were cast out of the garden to show that that was so. He did die and God told him that he was going to die if he did it. God means what he says. Let's have a look at another example. Let's go all the way over to 2 Kings, the book of 2 Kings. And chapter 1. You've all heard of Elijah, yes, the prophet Elijah. In fact, I preached a series on the prophet Elijah a few years ago. 2 Kings chapter 1. Now, as you're turning there, let me just tell you the story. The story is wicked King Ahab had died and his son by the name of Ahaziah was on the throne. Ahaziah ruled for a couple of years and then he had a clumsy moment and uh, he fell through the lattice of his uh, Roof. I'm not sure exactly what happened, but he put on the lattice. It maybe was not uh, very secure, and he fell through the roof. Okay? So he was on his sick bed. And he sent, because he was an idolater, not to inquire of God what was going to happen, but inquire of, look at verse uh, 2, Beelzebub. Okay? the god of Ekron. But he didn't get there, or at least the uh, the uh, emissary didn't get there because Elijah showed up and said, he was told by the angel of the Lord, arise and go up and tell them, the messengers from king, the king of Samaria, is it because there is no god in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. And then Elijah departed, because that's what the angel had told him to say in verse 3. So, um, when the messengers returned to the king, verse 5, He said to them, why have you come back? So they said to him, a man came up to meet us and said to us, go return to the king who sent you and say to him, thus says the Lord, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Well, I think I've read that before. In verse, yes? Okay. So Elijah, in other words, said exactly what he was told to say. This is important because Elijah is a prophet. And the idea of a prophet, and behind the the idea of a a prophet, is that they are a mouthpiece of God. Okay, that's what a prophet was. They were the mouth of God. So if you're given the job of being the mouthpiece of God, you're going to be very careful that the words that you say are the words God wants you to say, yes? Which is exactly what Elijah did. And uh, 
The king wanted to know what kind of man it was, and uh, they described him. He's a scruffy-looking dude and, um, you know, hairy and rude and leather belt around his waist and everything. Oh, it's Elijah. That's who that is. So they sent 50 men out who found Elijah, and uh, they said, Hey, man of God, come down quickly. The king wants to see you. Okay? Verse 9. Verse 10, this is Elijah's response. If I am a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven to consume you and your 50 men. So what happened? Fire came down from God and consumed them and him and the 50. Just exactly what Elijah said. You see, if he is a man of God... Why aren't they going to see the man of God? Why aren't they listening to the man of God who's representing God? Why aren't they listening, in other words, to the words of God? Why does the king think that he has some kind of authority over God's messenger? Unbelief is a very powerful interpretive tool. You can use it to twist God's words or not believe God's words. But God's words don't change. How do I know? Well, because another 50 men were sent out. That's why. Another 50 men were sent out, and uh, they didn't learn from the first one. The guy uh, cried up to Elijah, who was uh, on the hilltop. Man of God, come down. king wants to see you. If I am a man of God, Elijah repeats, then let fire come down and consume you and your 50. So what happened? Fire came down from God and consumed them. Okay, they were all crispy. So the king did not, the king did not um, learn and he sent 50 more people. But the commander of that 50 did learn. Okay, he thought, well, it's all right for you, king, you know, but, you know, I'm in the firing line here. I don't I want to end this day looking like this, not looking like a, you know, charred piece of coal and so on. So um, he did not say that. He said, verse 13, he fell on his knees, verse 13, pleaded with Elijah, man of God. Please, let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. So Elijah came down because God said you can go with them. Okay, so finally the king gets to see Elijah. Okay, this is a whole chapter basically wrapped up in this little story. And what is the message, what's the lesson that comes out of this opening chapter of 2 Kings? Well, here it is. Verse 16. Then the king, then he said to him, thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his words? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Verse 17, so Ahaziah died. What's the message? What's the lesson? 
God means what he says, folks. God means what he says. Okay? God's actions follow his words. What about Naaman? You've heard about Naaman. That's chapter 5 of 2 Kings. It's easy to get to. You all know the story of Naaman, don't you? The great Syrian general. He's got leprosy. And the maid who's from Israel says to him, you know, if you just go to the the prophet that's in Israel, that's Elisha this time, then, you know, he can uh, probably do something about this. So, uh, Naaman comes with all of this, uh, you know, all of these people, all of these, uh, this impressive uh, coterie of his. They pull up in front of Elisha's little cottage. Elisha doesn't even bother to come out. He sends his servant out. The servant has this particular message uh, for Naaman, which is, go and wash seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you'll be clean. Verse 10. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of his God and do a dance and throw uh, dust all over the place and heal the lap, you know, do something spectacular. Because that's what he was used to with all of the medicine men and all the conjurers of the ancient world, you see. Elisha didn't even bother to come out and see him. Now, his servants were wise. His servants said, look, I mean, if he'd have asked you to do some great deed, some great Herculean task, you'd have done it, wouldn't you? How much easier is it to just go and do what he tells you to do? Go and wash seven times. I mean, what, you know, at least you'll get a bath. You've got nothing to lose. So, What did he do? Verse 14, he went down to Jordan, dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Why? Well, he humbled himself, but why was he made clean? That's good. Would he have been made clean if he'd have dipped himself six times? Now, he had to do it the seventh time, the same as Joshua and the armies of Israel. They had to go round um, Jericho seven times, blowing their trumpets, and the walls would fall down. If they did it six times, the walls wouldn't have fallen down. Why? Well, it's simple, folks. The answer is very simple, and it's very profound. It's because God means what he says. You say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why do it seven times? Why this river? That's not for you to ask, is it? Just simply do and believe what God says. How am I, how on earth am I, this body, how is it going to molder in the grave, or whatever it's going to do, how is it going to be resurrected again? I mean, how? I want to know how before I'm going to believe that. I want to know how. How can my soul be cleansed 
by the blood of somebody who died 2,000 years ago. Come on, I'm not going to believe it unless you tell me. Explain it to me. No, just believe it. Just believe it. Why? And you can believe it because God said it. Do you see? God said it. And he's going to do it. Because what God says he's, he's going to do, he's going to do. Okay. Mark chapter 11. So we've looked at creation. We've looked at King Ahaziah. We've looked at Naaman. I mean, there are so many that you can pick out of here. But let's go to Mark chapter 11. Give you an example from Jesus. It's in verse uh, 12. Now the next day when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. This is Jesus. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, let No one eat fruit from you forever again. And his disciples heard it. Okay, so what? Verse 20. Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering to him, said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. Now, is, does this just mean that um, Jesus is, uh, is not going to join any tree-hugging society in any time soon? Is that the lesson? Is the lesson that he's just mean-spirited? Was there something more to this? Oh, yes, there was. Look at the next few words, verse 22. Jesus answered and said to them, you read it. What does it say? Have faith in God. What's the connection between having faith in God and the lesson of the cursed fig tree? Do you see it? Do you see the connection? If you don't, it's because it's too easy It's too simple. God means what he says. Jesus cursed the fig tree, so the fig tree was cursed. Have faith in God. God means what he says. What God has said he's going to do is what he, is what happens. Therefore, have faith in God. Meaning, have faith in God's words. Negatively, if you are here and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, 
you can exercise faith in God's words to you about where you're going to end up and spend eternity. I do not recommend you try him on that. I do not recommend that you bet against him meaning exactly what he says. On a happier note, if you've trusted in Jesus' words when he says to you that if you believe in him, you have forgiveness of sins, you become a son of God, you have uh, everlasting life, you'll have a resurrection body, you will have peace, God will wipe away all of the tears from your eyes, he will take away all of your pain and all of your anxiety, you will live forever in fellowship with God. Sounds like a deal to me. The only question is, is God going to do it? And the answer is, I've given you the answer, folks. I've given you the answer. This is why this is so important. This is why this lesson has to be learned. It's also why you, and I'm not saying these are not ungodly preachers, okay? But don't listen to a preacher who spiritualizes away the word of God. And say, well, I know God said that in the Old Testament, but, you know, it means something different now. Oh, no, it doesn't. And you better change that attitude before you stand before God and you have to give an account to him for God not standing by his words. There is a a, a text in the book of Malachi which is very pertinent to this. It is this. Hear, O Israel... I am the Lord your God, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Israel are not consumed. Well, they deserve to be consumed, but they weren't consumed because God had made covenants with them. And God will stick by them. Do you see? And I've told you, when you've trusted in Jesus and you enter into that relationship with him and he gives the spirit to you, you're in covenant with God. Or he enters into covenant with you. It's called the new covenant. Very quickly, one more. I know it's not there. I know it's not. In uh, This should be point five. But I didn't want to put you off. So I didn't include it on there. John 21. This is very quick. John 21 and verse 20. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, whom he had leaned on his breast at the supper, and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? And Peter, saying him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Look at this next verse. Then this saying went about among the brethren that his disciples, this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. You see, they were interpreting the Bible wrong. They were interpreting the word of God wrong. People say, you know, you can make the Bible say anything you want it to say. Well, of course you can if you do that. 
But you can't if you believe that God means what he says. This saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? Which is exactly what he said in verse 22. Do you understand the, do you get the message? Believe that God means what he says. Yes, God uses figurative language. Yes, he uses uh, figures of speech and metaphors and similes, like we all do. Okay? Jesus says, I am the door. Okay? He's not a literal door. We understand that, but we also understand what he's saying. You know, we might say, uh, you know, when we're hungry, you know, I'm famished. No, you're not. You ever seen somebody who's really famished? Okay, it's not you. You're just hungry. We use it as a figure of speech. Everybody understands we're not saying that we're literally in the point of death because we haven't eaten for a week. Do you see? God does the same thing. He gives us common sense so that we can understand when he's using figures of speech, but he always means what he says. The lesson is very, very straightforward. Okay? The leper comes to, um, comes to Jesus in Mark 1. Says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus reaches out a hand, touches him, says, I will, be you clean, be clean. So he's cleansed. This is up and down the Bible, folks, and people miss it. But the lesson is very simple. Have faith in God. You can have faith in God as long as you believe what he says. If you change what he says, if you spiritualize what he says... You're not believing the word of God. You're believing your alteration of the word of God. And there's a big difference between the two. Do you want comfort and consolation? Do you want to know that you truly have everlasting life? You might not feel it today. You might not, you know, the circumstances you're going through, whatever. You might not have that sense of God's closeness. That doesn't matter. It's irrelevant in the long run. What is, irre- what is relevant? What's relevant is that God's promise to you can't be broken. So have faith in it. Make that the most important thought in your mind. And you'll see that peace will come. You'll see that the obstacles, the difficulties, the pains are lessened substantially when you just trust that God and God's word to you is absolute and it's not going to change. When God says he loves you, you can take that to the bank. In fact, you take it to the bank of heaven. That's the end of the lesson for today. It's a very straightforward and simple thing. And if you can get it, Okay, it will both help you interpret the Bible and it will help you interpret the world.
maybe your own confused feelings about God today. Please, just trust that God's words to you mean what they say, okay? And you will, you will be saved. You will experience the blessings that he's promised to you. And it doesn't depend on you anyway. It depends on him. And he's faithful and he's true. Let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, we'd all learn this lesson when uh, we're going through difficulties in our life, when we're tempted maybe by Satan or by ourselves to, because we don't understand the word maybe, we wonder how this can happen. We just believe it because you said it. It makes things much easier. And Lord, it also glorifies you because you want us to trust you. You want us to believe you. How you're going to do it is not our problem. And if you haven't told us how you're going to do it, we should just be happy that you know. And trust in that and rest in that. Help me to be more of a believer in your words. Help us all to have faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen.